I'm Kim Schmidt, Managing Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast. In this episode, brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talks with Tim Whitley of Team SI. This is your first time listening. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. Before we turn things over to Casey, a quick word from Iron Solutions, who is making this podcast a reality. Iron Solutions provides dealers with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. Their Iron Search and Iron Guides are all about managing your dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. Casey and Tim get things started talking about Tim's background in farming in the dealership world and how farm equipment dealers can use social media to find used equipment sales leads. Today, my guest is Tim Whitley of Team SI. And Tim, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you seriously for having me on. No, I appreciate that, man. So talk to me a little bit about yourself and the company that you started, Team SI. Yeah, so... First of all, I am a, oh my gosh, I don't know how many generations of a farmer. And I left the farm world to go into broadcast television and started my operations in broadcast television, running Nextstar Broadcasting Group uh, in my own division, and then moved into digital and started to build out the digital products of Nextstar Broadcasting Group from about 05 to 10 and then retired or resigned after my 10-year anniversary and decided to start my tech firm that always wanted to get into mostly companies that didn't fully understand data and and, uh, the streams of it and how to put all that together. Really at the top level companies, automotive was really struggling at that point. But now fast forward to 2018 and going into 2019, you know, we're doing the same thing for equipment and agriculture dealers heavy construction and rental. And I can't, and I need to also say this, that uh, my mom is also a dealership principal uh, back in Abilene, Texas. It's kind of full circle for me, to be honest with you. So you actually, you come from the background, you understand the nature of the business, you know, with the family uh, dealership going on there and plus coming from the farm. So you get, you get the ins and outs of, of the business. So Talk to me a little bit about what you guys do for for the dealerships and and what your focus is. Well, our focus is driving data-driven marketing tactics to all of our dealers. So basically, I've always said this since 05, is data is the currency of the internet. And when we mean that is, you know, whether it is uh, over OTT, what we call over-the-top television, which is basically if you're watching the 6 o'clock news wherever you're at and the person across the street is watching the 6 o'clock news on the exact same channel, that they're going to be getting different TV ads according to their behaviorals, traits, and et cetera. So an example, I have my house on the market. And so when I'm watching Hulu, I'm constantly getting, you know, finance, finance ads. I'm constantly getting you know, Zillow ads, Realtor.com ads, et cetera. And those are just based on data. And so what we do is every decision that we make uh, at Team SI is not necessarily opinion. It has to be data-driven. So if our dealers come to us and say, hey, we really want to be in the Super Bowl. I'm making this up. And we come back to them and say, well, only 3% of your total audience that would even really care about you 
is watching the Super Bowl. So that's only 3%, but you're, you know, you want to spend six figures. So let's do it a different way and be data driven about it and be on the fringe of the Super Bowl, but only attack that 3%. So that's what we do. All right. So I do this a lot. You know, I'm in the dealership. We have marketing people and we've got different people in different positions and, but everybody's kind of involved in everything. It feels like, so, you know, looking back on, kind of my day-to-day stuff, you know, we're, we're really trying to blast the social media aspects of our business, right? I've mm-hmm. talked about it several times on this on this podcast where there's a, you know, paradigm shift happening in, in our industry with the seasoned veteran sales guy who's, who's sold to uh, dad and grandpa and now yep. the uh, millennial or just not too far away from being a millennial is coming back in to the... Uh, to the farm and, and starts looking at the operation and, and the various parts of their operation. And they buy in a completely different manner. They get their information in a completely different manner. And they're used to doing things that dad and grandpa aren't used to doing to or doing uh, every day. Um, that is buying stuff sight unseen on the internet, you know, going out and buying a car on Craigslist or eBay or, you know, wherever, you know, getting Amazon packages dropped off at the house every day, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. And, a lot of our sales guys struggle with that, that paradigm, you know what I mean? That, you know, I don't understand why he's just not doing it the same way everybody else did it. And that bridge in technology well, is bigger than it's ever been, you know, in the past generation anyway. Well, may I take a step back and just tell you, I don't even buy a car off of Craigslist. That's scary. But <laughs> the, the point of it is it's not just the millennials though. And I watch this in my own family traits. I watch mm-hmm. this from my mom's dealership. I watch this from, all of our equipment dealerships, we do extensive research with Google. We do extensive research with Google Analytics. We map people's IFA mobile codes, et cetera. And still the number one demographic of buying these products, whether, of course, it's used equipment or large ag, is the 55 to you know 80 years old, which is those people that serve on, on my farm. And when they're in the cab, we all have tablets and we all have mobile phones and, and we're constantly active doing something just like any entrepreneur is just like as yourself. And, you know, you do multiple things. Well, their entrepreneurship is just creating more of a sense of urgency. Just like a lot of people say, I have ADHD because I'm doing 20 million things at once. It's the no, no difference for them. So, you know, sometimes we stack the millennials in. The, these are the people that are carrying us, but it's also the adaptiveness to technology across the entire board. Uh, we did a research on the on the Google study side, and a 55 plus year old that's looking for a piece of used equipment will look at 7.2 different websites, uh, call unseen, and then call or excuse me, look at all the stuff. If you have less than five photos, they won't even look. If you don't have details, they won't even look. But then after they reach that 7.2 side, then they, they'll they give you a call and they will work that deal. Um, and I'll be honest with you, my farm, uh, we do order stuff on Amazon. And I know that's controversial, but I'm not the one who does it. It's my 65 plus uh, uh, uncles that are doing that. And it's, it's them going and, and researching stuff. So I think it's a paradigm just to say that uh, that it encompasses the entire equipment industry in the adoption of technology. I wouldn't just blame it on the millennials. That's that's what I'll put it there. So to your point, mm-hmm. to your point, this is this is something that I've I found one day to be kind of shocking. 
um, and I wouldn't have expected this. I was at a conference somewhere, and it had been a couple of years back, and one of the they had a uh, a farmer on on the panel, and one of the questions was a video thing, and one of the questions that the that the uh, instructor asked him was, "Where do you get your news from?" And this guy was probably late fifties, early sixties, and his response was Twitter. I get all my get all my information from Twitter when it comes to my news because I can pick what I want to see come across my feed. And at the time, I was probably the most anti-social media person on the face of the planet and really found zero use for it at that particular time in my life until that man said, you know what, I get all my stuff from Twitter. And yeah, so that interaction that we have on social media now is getting to be a bigger and bigger thing. What are some of the biggest do's and don'ts you see companies make when they're dealing with social media? Well, uh, and, you know, I hate to bring up bad times, but just the other day, John McCain, Senator John McCain just died. And um, most people found that out via their smartphone, whether that was Twitter, Facebook, and or uh, Instagram or a push notification from, you know, a local TV station or national television. They didn't wait till the 10 o'clock news to, you know, find that out. So that stuff doesn't surprise me, especially with the men. When you look at men and older demographics, they are a lot on Twitter just because they can react to things. It's a lot of sports. It's a lot of news. Female demographics are a little bit different. It's just about knowing your audiences. So, you know, Twitter's really not growing with the percentage users like Facebook is. And you may say, whoa, whoa, wait, a, what, what about this Russia gate thing? And, you know, the lockdown on Facebook, Facebook's still growing. They're just investing a lot more money in, in protection, et cetera. And then Twitter isn't really necessarily growing, though they're throwing more ads at us. And so to try to gain that revenue. And so when you're looking at the interaction rate, I'm going to tell you uh, that all through my attribution rate, through my 495 dealer locations and all of my automotive dealers, we have never sold a car or a piece of equipment via Twitter. That's just a fact that we're looking at attribution levels. So we know when you look at a tweet, right? And then you come to the website and then you call, that's called attribution. So then I can tie those two things together. I've never seen that done. What it does do is help in organic presence, your SEO, et cetera. So bringing up your organic level. So you tweeting out about your dealership, you tweeting out about a piece of equipment still helps to educate in the research phase and helps to build your organic strength as a holistic view on Google and on Twitter, et cetera. Um, but it, once you're trying to really sell what you're trying to sell, uh, you got to pick the right platforms where they're at. That's, uh, that's one thing about Twitter and social media. And a lot of people ask me, you know, how, how many times do you engage? How many times are you supposed to post, et cetera? Facebook has delicate rules on that. They know that a certain page should not post more than one time a day. If you start posting uh, 15 times a day, Facebook starts to de-algorithm uh, you. Basically, they start to punish you and say, well, you're posting too much. You're, you're not a part of the community. You're being too salesy. And so, you know, one time per day there. Twitter's a little bit different. They'll accept about three times per day before the algorithm starts kind of kicking you out a little bit more. Uh, but interaction on Twitter is really important. So if you are on Twitter and, and instead of just pushing things out to help SEO, like I said earlier, you could engage with people that are searching for these things. Because if you do a Twitter search and say, 
you find someone that's looking for a piece of used equipment, you can go about it that way, just like what we do all the time in the automotive world. It's called scraping Twitter. But people will post all the time if they're looking to buy a car. My car broke down. My car did this, et cetera, et cetera. My car just hit 100,000 miles. What should I get next? And automotive dealers will tie in with that and start engaging them and providing them the research level on that front. But it's all about research level. Okay, so that's a, that's a good point. I've often wondered how they did that. How do they how do they go about finding those? I mean, those people, especially like with Twitter. You know, you've got a feed and Facebook's the same way. Go through your feed and you find a lot of stuff. If I'm a, a consumer and I put out there, hey, I've got this pickup and it's got 150,000 miles on it. Thinking about maybe getting a different one. Anybody have any, you know, suggestions of where I should go look for a new vehicle at? How do those dealerships find that? So the dealerships are using um, like stuff that we have at uh, Team SI. It's something that either sniffing tweets like TweetDeck and or uh, Sprout Social or a different program that's constantly looking for keywords. So a lot of people don't know this, but I'm a meteorologist. And so um, anytime there's severe weather, I load up my TweetDeck and it's literally called TweetDeck. And I put in the keywords to find, you know, tornado on ground or, you know, whatever to kind of start populating my feed with, you know, first imagery and, you know, uh, trying to get the word out there. And so you can definitely do that. It's just not very active in the ag and equipment business just yet on the Twitter side. Um, again, it's to build more organic strength with Google, which is very important because Google's, you know, your number one friend if you allow it to be. Right. So I get this tweet deck and I put it out there and, you know, lo and behold, I've got myself a basically a keyword search of someone saying use tractor or something like that. And I, it'll, it'll direct me to those tweets. Yes. If you put in the right keywords of what they would be utilizing. So used equipment, tractor, whatever it may be. And it might be different columns because how you set it up is in different columns. Uh, tweet decks for free. Uh, Sprout social costs money. Um, so it, it really depends on which one you use because it's all different how you set it up. It's kind of like a CRM. <laughs> it's all about, you know, how you set it up. So, uh, but you, I think you understand what I'm saying though, there, because you just, it's just all about, uh, keywords at that point. That's great. Okay. Learn, just learn something new here. Right on, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, okay. So if I'm, if I'm just massively out there tweeting and just throwing stuff out there a million times, so take my podcast, for example, so when I, when I post my podcast, um, in the morning I do, uh, I do a, uh, a deal with Chip Nellinger and we do talk about the markets and that particular one I do a uh, a periscope and then I do put it on periscope then I take the audio and I put it on my podcast and then I also post the video to YouTube which then tweets it back onto Twitter right automatically um, uh-huh. so uh, if that was anything else like I'm, I'm on the verge of not getting, not getting a lot of people to see my stuff just because of the way I, I do it. Or is it, is, is I'm understanding that correctly from what, how you talk about it? No, you getting your stuff out there is correct. And I will tell you, Periscope is going to uh, help you uh, with the algorithm to get your stuff out there because uh, Twitter loves the live feeds. Just like if you do a Facebook live, it's going to get more credit in the algorithm versus just a photo or just a simple text. So you getting your stuff out there, you're doing right. Uh, and you got to be cognizant of using keywords and being consistent with a few keywords 
uh, throughout the entirety. So, you know, you're at podcast 95, hopefully going all the way back to one, you have some consistent uh, keywords and hashtags that you use inside of uh, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, so that then Google starts picking it up, et cetera. And so does uh, iTunes or wherever your podcast may play. All of those things start to jive together and start to help build your organic uh, strength as a whole, as a whole digital experience. Okay. And the whole purpose of that then would be to, if you're doing that as if an equipment dealership or, or a farm or whomever it is that, that you're doing that with, that ultimately what you're trying to drive to is a landing page of some sort on uh, whether it be your website or some other place, correct? Yes, exactly. It depends on uh, what you are set out to do, but you know, to listen to your podcast, of course, it would be to the destination to be able to do that. You wouldn't want to send them somewhere that they have to take additional four or five steps just to listen. Right. Uh, you want to make sure that it's that it's going straight to the place where they need to listen. So it's the exact same thing in the world of selling equipment. I see a ton of places where people will put stuff out there, but I still have six extra steps to take just to <laughs> just to get to the area that where I need to be to be able to browse the equipment, which is very frustrating. Right. We'll get back to Casey and Tim in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce cost, and speed your growth. Casey and Tim left things off talking about driving online customer traffic to the place you want them to be browsing equipment instead of making them go through five or six steps to get there. Now here's Casey with a quick message about moving iron. Hello, I'm Casey Seymour, and I want to thank Farm Equipment Magazine for partnering with me to bring you the Farm Equipment Podcast Series, Use Equipment Remarketing Roadmap. The podcasts are taken from my weekly podcast, Moving Iron Podcast. Moving Iron Podcast is a podcast designed for ag equipment dealers by ag equipment dealers. The weekly podcast focuses on current events and trends across the ag equipment marketplace in North America. Along with dealers, I interview the biggest names in the ag industry. Chip Nellinger of Blue Reef Ag and Marketing is a regular guest talking about commodity markets and risk management. You can also hear guests like Greg Machinery Pete Peterson and Tyne Morgan of the U.S. Farm Report. If you are in the ag equipment business or have an interest in the ag equipment business, this is a must listen for you. You can find the podcast at movingironllc.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. Also at movingironllc.com, you can find information on the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can find me on LinkedIn. And if you would like, you can send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Thanks, Casey. Before the break, Casey asked for the best tips on capturing customer contact information, like email and phone numbers. Here's what Tim has to say on capturing customer data and attracting repeat customers. So now that kind of brings up another point uh, I've, I've thought about quite a bit. So 
like I, I try to, I think I'm trying to make it pretty easy that you, you know, you go to these five different places and you just basically go look up my podcast and you can take a look at it. It's all there for you to view or listen to, depending on where you're at. One thing is, is capturing information, that information from, from people, whether it be, you know, email addresses, phone numbers, addresses, whatever it might be that you're, that you're trying to get. What are some, like, some tricks that you've, that you've kind of figured out along the way that kind of help drive that without making it look like you're, you know, fishing for people's information. Yeah. I mean, we live in the world where it's starting to increase, uh, but we live in the world of the early 2000s, late nineties, when we were just hit with so much spam with no filters to be able to block an email. And that has stayed with us psychologically for a long time. So giving away an email address is, is sacred kind of like your telephone number. And so that is starting to come back now, especially when you give out deals, whether today I was looking uh, online for furniture uh, for the new house because my house is on the market. Remember, I just told you that. And so during my customer journey, as I'm going to all these different websites, whether it's CBD or it's, uh, you know, all these different furniture websites that are literally internet based companies, um, there's little behavioral traits that then start picking up on me. And then I start getting ads for new ones that I've never even heard of. And so I start to browse in this customer journey. The next thing I look up, it's almost seven o'clock and ready for our podcast recording. So there's that, but there's also things in there for me saying this is if you order now, you can save $25 off or 25% off, et cetera, with capturing your information. So you can do that. The other thing is, if you want retention, one of the best ways on, on retention is to find the people that are coming to your website and then be able to, uh, instead of always having new users to your website, you want repeating customers, just like at a grocery store, a retail shop, whatever it may be. In the internet, it's so much easier because you can launch retargeting ads, match to their IP address, and match to uh, their desktop cookies, et cetera. Uh, to then be able to do that, to gain that retention. Uh, but capturing people's information is something that uh, you want to always hold a delicacy to because, you know, they're, they're definitely afraid of it being misused. So there has to be something that's in it for me. And I always say, whether you're creating a video that you're going to put on your website, whether it's putting photos on used equipment, whether it is uh, putting stuff out there for rental, whatever it may be, you got to think about not me, 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 but you always got to think about what's in it for the customer and what's in it for them. Cause that's all that matters. They're not necessarily looking at it saying, Oh, I'm so proud of X dealership because they did high quality photos. They're never going to say that. They're going to just say, wow, this is my perfect tractor and it's all for me basically. And so just think about it. What's in it for them. Right. Okay. So as you come and talk to these dealerships in, automotive groups and construction equipment companies stuff that you're dealing with is there a one consistent thing that you change every time the first time out like when you start looking at like do most people have the same initial problem when when you're looking at their overall i guess step into marketing yes you know most of the time is um google analytics is not installed on a website to be able to tell you your demos so you know we were talking about demos earlier and talking about customer journey um, if, if somebody has a strong opinion on that, like I said, it needs to be backed up with data. And so what we always do is turn on demos and interest, et cetera. So we can show that customer journey 
to someone uh, that may not understand uh, why the heck are these people coming to my website? And then once you show them that customer journey where they're going on the website, et cetera, it's like, oh, oh my gosh, that's exactly what they do when they come to our location, you know, shopping around on the field, they're shopping around online. I mean, it makes sense, but sometimes you just got to plug it in. Right. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, um, you know, the, the consistency is uh, we're doing less and less print these days because I can't track the ROI, but I want to track ROI with everything we're doing and I want to put it in digital, but I don't want, I I need that magic bullet. What is the first thing we do in digital? And the absolute reality and truth of that is you don't just do one thing in digital, just like you don't do one TV spot in a six o'clock news per month. That's not going to get you anywhere or one radio spot per month. You got to kind of be everywhere the customer is in the customer journey. And so there's a lot of confusion that if I'm doing one thing in digital that I'm, I'm squared away, um, which is not how the customer journey works. And if w- once I start relaying that to where do you go when you're shopping for a new vehicle or shopping for a, a restaurant and all these different things, you don't just tell me one or two sites. You tell me all these different steps you take online, whether it's mobile, tablet, and then you move to desktop at work and then blah, blah, blah all of that plays a role in a customer journey. So I, I would say those are uh, the traits of what we see every time we walk in. What are some of the biggest issues you see with, with websites when you look at them? Well, it depends what you're doing um, and what you're selling. But uh, I will tell you when I first got in the space of equipment to kind of disrupt the equipment industry as a whole and shake them and wake them up and all this stuff is we noticed that there were hardly 15 to 25% websites that were mobile friendly. And so they were just getting dinged left and right on the Google algorithm. So we spent most of 2016 just going out to associations, speaking, speaking, speaking like crazy about mobile first, mobile first. And so that was one thing. And now um, that's been covered is when people are at your website, you know, you have these dealers that continue to add on locations. And when you add on locations, we think we're doing ourselves a service, which is great. We're expanding and it grows our inventory, just like an automotive dealership group. Fantastic. And the overhead increases at a business front. But you got to think about the user. Remember, what's in it for me? And so these new people that come to your website and they're literally just looking for their nearest location the heat mapping, the customer journey mapping, all this stuff just to find a local phone number is so frustrating for them. And we record all the phone calls and everything we do marketing for. And you would be so amazed at how people don't know their geography. So they think they're calling the closest store, but they'll make two or three calls to actually find that store. Um, So that's been very frustrating as well as we continue to consolidate and get bigger. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The mobile friendly part of it. I mean, I look at more stuff on my phone, I think, than I do on any other device that I have. I've got an iPad, the uh, 12.9 or whatever, the big one, the iPad Pro. And yep. I spend more time on my phone looking at stuff than I do on that thing. And it's the exact same thing, you know. So, uh, it, again, but it's, it's well, also I'll, readily available, too. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you that uh, through all the stuff we get from from Google and all the trends and all this other stuff, for equipment dealerships, if they're not over 50% on mobile traffic, then something is definitely wrong with the marketing mix. Because 
Um, that's one of the very first things we also look at. And usually it's not a big thing anymore because the trends have just let itself there. But it is still sometimes surprising when we walk in and it's not there yet. And, and, and I'm not talking about Northeast states. I'm talking about Mississippi. I'm talking about Alabama, where we all have dealerships at. And they're still all 100% on the mobile side. And so, um, you know, really doing research. When you actually calculate lead base, you may have 50% viewership inside, over 50% viewership on mobile. But when you actually calculate leads with the click to call, the fill out a form, et cetera, it's over 72% on the average of that's where your leads come from is the mobile device because it's all instant gratification. Right. So something else we need to look at and take care of. So uh, it's kind of a dumb question that I've always tried to get my head wrapped around, but I don't know quite understand the answer. So how do I qualify a lead that I've got from somebody calls in? Obviously, if they email me, I'm, I'm getting that from our website or from some you know, other form somewhere that they're finding that piece of equipment. But if somebody calls me on the phone and my sales guy doesn't go, hey, where did you where did you find this at? How do I know that lead came mm-hmm. from a social media site or a online site and not a, a print advertisement that we have? So everything that we do at SI, and again, this is an SI promotion, but everything that we do is uh, through attribution and call tracking and form-based tracking. So no matter where a lead comes in, we always see where it attributed to. Um, so they may have seen a Facebook ad and then they Googled you organically, but it will map those things out. Like I said, you can't just do one thing in digital. You got to do the full picture. And once you start doing the full picture, you're going to start to see how everything starts to play out. So asking a customer these days, Hey, where did you see this incentive or where did you first see this? It's kind of like asking them to rewind their mind back 30 days ago. because The customer journey can be 30 to 60 days and use equipment, uh, 30 to 45 days and small ag. So you're asking somebody to go really far back in the, in those 7.2 websites they initially did on first night of day one. Um, so that's really unfair in, in doing things justice. So that's where we have attribution windows, et cetera, to be able to tell where leads are coming from. Okay. So you basically, you're entrenched with that customer from the minute that they leave your initial website or, or, or your Facebook page or your Twitter feed or wherever. And, and you're basically just, you're with them the whole time. That makes sense. Or, uh, exa- yes, but an example is I have a for sale sign in the front of my yard. I don't know where I'm going yet, but I have data-driven tactics uh, tied into our product called Dopio that is Zillow. And if I start looking at five plus acres of land more on Zillow for a new home, then I'm going to start getting, hey, with that new home, you should buy this new small ag piece of equipment because you're going to need it. Uh, It's all being with the customer journey whenever they start to either need it or to show intent that they are looking and researching and or showing in market traits. Um, and you can get that same stuff for used and large as well. I got you. I got you. Okay. Well, man, this stuff is always, it's, it's all been, it's fascinating, you know, when you, when you look at it and, and how much data that we get and, and how we use that data to drive customers to our websites or well, basically into our dealerships to, ultimately buy something right so that's uh yeah it's a lot of good stuff there so tim i i I think we've 
kind of covered everything that I had on my on my list here to cover. So if folks want to get in touch with you or Team SI, how would they do that? Uh, the easiest way is just to go to TeamSI.com, and we have an equipment uh, division, an automotive division, et cetera. And then we have uh, just a ton of great free information on the website through blogging and resource, just like what you're doing with the podcast. So um, we like to educate just like uh, you like to educate. Right on, man. Well, Tim, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Casey and Tim. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash expert. Submit a question and we'll get Casey's answer on it on our Ask the Expert blog. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. We hope you'll tune in with us for our next episode on November 15th. For Casey and Tim, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.